No. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, good evening, and welcome to tonight's one-off exclusive Twilight Show with myself, Miss Sade. Tonight's guest is none other than the one and the only Mr. Tom Sherrington. We'll be discussing the importance of a pastoral components being in an effective curriculum, and who better to talk about it with than the king of curriculum himself. Stay tuned in, don't go anywhere. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Right, good evening, good evening, and welcome to a special one-off exclusive Twilight Show with myself, Miss Sade. Now, I'm making a disclaimer in advance. I'm a fangirl because I'm actually personally a very, very big fan of the person that I can't believe I actually have on my show this evening because one of the first main curriculum books I ever read was written by none other than my guest, Mr. Tom Sherrington. Tom, are you there? If you are, good evening. Hello, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hallelujah. How are you, sir? How are you doing? Very good. Yeah, exciting to be here. It's good to see you on a Friday night. Can I just say publicly to Tom a humongous thank you because it was a bit of toing and froing trying to actually get Tom on the show and he's been very accommodating to fit me into his ridiculously busy schedule. So again, Tom, thank you for being with us this evening. Now, I feel really weird asking you this first question, Tom, but I'm a woman, I'm a creature of habit. I always go in a particular order and I feel a bit embarrassed asking curriculum royalty, in fact, edu Twitter royalty, this question. So maybe give us a fun, interesting fact about you that we might not know. But please, Tom, for the benefit of our lovely listeners listening live and those who listen backwards afterwards, tell us a bit about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so weird asking you that. uh, What do you want want to know? I mean... (laughs) It's, it's hard. What, what, what can I tell you? Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what to, uh, what to say to that, really. Um, the, the, I mean, I've, I've, you know, people know me from Twitter and blogging and all that sort of stuff, but um, I also like <laughs> making music and stuff. One, one of the things I, I think is something, something which is uh, about me, which I don't often talk about, is living abroad as a kid. So when I, was, when I, when I grew up living living abroad. So I didn't really live in England properly till I was about nine. Oh, wow. I so, didn't know that. Yes, yeah, so I grew I used to travel. My, my family was uh, used to live abroad. So I grew up in, um, my, my brother was born in Kuwait and my sister was born in Ethiopia. And uh, I was born in Oxford. <laughs> so I got... <laughs> oh, no, you got the short straw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so that, that, was, that was an interesting fact. You know, we used to live abroad. I used to live in Tehran. I spent two years of my life living in Tehran. Did you run? Yeah, when I was. Um, I was, was going to say, do you speak Persian? But I doubt if you're a child, you learnt any Persian. <laughs> well, I, can, I can I can count to four. <laughs> no. Yek do se cha. Okay, now I know a bit of Persian. I'm very impressed by your accent there, sir. That's four. That's, that's, that's <laughs> one to four in Farsi. Yeah, I mean, you know, so that was quite cool. So there was there's some weird references to sort of British culture, sort of TV, music, um, which. I, I miss, even though I was 
from your youth, you know, that TV show, which I just think I didn't, I never knew any of that stuff because I wasn't here. Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh, hang on. Sorry. One of our listeners just said, I am actually Iranian and I can test Tom if you want me to. It's okay. We're not going to put him under any more pressure with the languages, but thank you, Hussein. No, don't. <laughs> no, let's not do that. <laughs> let's not test Mr. Sherrington on the Iranian. We'll leave that till later. Right, Tom. They, honestly, I have had a number of guests on my show. But for, for the fact that obviously, I'm sorry if I embarrass you, but I'm gushing here. I absolutely adore you on a personal level. I'm, from what I've learned about you through Twitter and professionally, you really are up there as one of my personal favourites. I was at a loss of how to whittle down my questions into a 90-minute show because I could happily question you all evening about tons of things. But I think the first thing that I really want to pick your brains about is you have been the brains behind some of the most groundbreaking texts that I've ever come across in my career. And I know umpteen people internationally as well as nationally have, you know, the teaching you know, teaching walkthroughs, obviously. Shout out to Oliver here as well. Rosenstein's Principles in Action, The Learning Rainforest. But what I absolutely love, especially as a member of pastoral staff and being a pastoral specialist, you always include pastoral components in any of your works that you actually publish, you know, whether it be positive relationships, whether it be, you know, um, attitudes and habits, you know, for excellence, for example, in the learning rainforest, when you talk about small steps in the neurology's principles, as a Senko app, so you love that. You are known, first and foremost, as a curriculum expert, but why is pastoral so important to you? Well, I, th I think it's, um, you can't really separate it. I mean, you know, when, when you're teaching physics or history or maths you're, you're teaching it to children you're not sort of teaching into a room of you know a faceless children who just have to absorb the knowledge you're teaching it to that specific person and the purposes of teaching is is creating conditions so that each child that you teach learns and they have to mm -hmm. learn things in their own head and of course so there's a learning aspect of it but there's also the community aspect of it you know you don't you don't run up go to a school where there's sort of a thousand individualized sort of little learning spaces. You, you, teaching is a community activity. Your schools have a community, classrooms are a community. So unless you're attending to the social dynamics of a room and of a school, uh, you, you can't do the learning part. So there's, there's lots of reasons. So, you know, schools are a place where you go every day to be with all these other people. And so, and, and those children come from families who are also part of your community. So it's, it's a huge part of it. The schools have a massive and important social function as well as teaching knowledge and, and, and so on. So it's not like it's an add-on. It's almost, to some extent, it's, you know, they, well, they, you can't really separate them. You know, the purpose of schooling mm -hmm. is, is multiple, you know, manifold. You, you go to school to be socialized into the community that you're a part of, partly. And um, I think that's really important. Can I just say right now, and I know I speak on behalf of, I don't know how many people, but a multitude of people, when I say this, I so wish you worked for Austin. <laughs> well, that ain't, that ain't, that ain't going to happen. I tell you I've said this to you before. I know I've said this to you before. I quote Tom when I tweeted him and practically begged him to replace Nadim Dahawi, and he said, I'm sorry, I'm really happy with the job I've got right now. So if anyone wants to join me, starting a hashtag to kind of force... Tom Sherrington to work with the DFE. The, 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 the thing, the thing though, I see. I think it's interesting that I, I don't actually think that's anything that they would disagree with, though. I, 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 I really don't. I, I think even people who are, you know, when schools are criticised, and there are lots of issues around accountability that I can talk about. But mm. I don't think those people or the or the or the, the frameworks or anything like that are saying anything other than that. Of course, I mean, safeguarding and well well being and uh, mental health and all those things are 
are part and parcel of evaluating the school. So I, I don't think like that's controversial. I think it's it's uh, something to be. You, you know, we can talk about priorities and so on, but I, yes. I think every single school you ever go to, the feeling you get, the way that people talk about their school is about it as a community of, of people. And I think I think the pastoral aspect of schools is is palpable everywhere. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think the key thing is the fact that you're so passionate in what you say and your messages just resonate with so many people in in various fields in education. I'm jumping around the questions here a little bit, but um, I was talking to colleagues about this earlier this week. The new Ofsted framework, it focuses you know heavily on the quality of education and I do appreciate and understand why. You know, it's an important part of how a school works and, you know, student learning, you know, is one of the ultimate goals of being in education. But unfortunately, what I've also found is in some schools, some are seeing this as a reason to almost prioritise quality of education over pastoral components. So you send and your behaviour and the like. And I personally think that's a good approach because, as you said earlier, I wholeheartedly agree with you that without pastoral, you can't really have an effective curriculum because with the greatest of respects, if, if I don't you know relate to a child who might be going through something horrible at home from a safeguarding perspective, it doesn't matter how wonderful my lesson is. They're just not going to want to learn. They're not going to want to engage. And that's why, you know, when I've done and I've done safeguarding CPD, I deliberately focus on things like positive relationships and you know as I take in the walkthroughs, because for me that is at the crux of an effective lesson. If you don't bother to actually call a child by their name, if you aren't actually assertive in a classroom, if you don't insist upon silence when it's required, everything else just falls to pieces. And I think I am right to assume that you agree with me on that. <laughs> well, I, I, in general, I do, but I, I, I see. I, I think it's so important for me not to sort of see these things in opposition. So I'm not going to. Mm, say, no, I do. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say that I think schools prioritise, you know, curriculum and, and teaching over pastoral or send or anything. I don't. Think, I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. In fact, where, where I think, and also I think there's a reverse pressure, which is let's say, um, you know, a new, I'm a new teacher. I won't say young teacher because you could just be a new teacher at any age, but you could be a new, a new teacher going into a classroom. And you're, if you're getting all these messages like you've got to form relationships with the children and that's the most important thing, you're thinking, yeah, okay, I know, but I've also got to try to teach them how to add fractions and, and stuff, and that's actually quite complicated. And I think it's reasonable to say that relationship building is part of an ongoing process. And sometimes the relationships take time to formulate. And one of the most important reasons that you respect a teacher, for example, is because you learn, you're learning with them. So yeah. I, I, I always think that relationships are best formulated in schools through the teaching and learning process. So I was saying that today on a, on a I did a training day today with some uh, teachers as part, who were part of a, a skit and my feeling is this, that if you, like some of the relationships I've had with students over the years that I thought, think were really good were ones which we, which we formulated through talking about physics. <laughs> so, you know, they, mm. I, didn't, I didn't go in to sort of be um, having a great rapport on an interpersonal level, knowing all about their family and their issues. It was because we were talking about learning stuff and sharing an enthusiasm and a mutual respect, which was formulated through that. And I, I think that's healthy. Uh, so I don't think you have to sort of go in like finding out all about the children. Sometimes children go to school from top complex situations and the last thing they want is their teachers to know all their business. They just want to go to school and be kind of normal and like everybody else and neutral and learn stuff. 
and it's not they don't want their teachers to be asking them personal questions and they they don't want that so i feel like you have to be careful about this stuff about relationship building that it's not seen as like a, like we've got to do that first and then we'll start doing the learning i don't think it works that way i think sometimes it's the other way around i think you go in with some basic expectations and routines and the kids respect that that's part of what school business is and then yeah. over time you say love that teacher they're really great but actually you gave that 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 forms over over time and i think that's really i think it's important to get that that right you know you've actually changed my mindset a little bit in what you said now <laughs> because obviously i don't mean to be but i'm going to be a little bit biased towards you know saying that and you you're right that children do come sometimes you know school's a form of escapism some of them school is their sort of safe haven and their respite where they can forget about what's happening outside of school but i think where i was coming from is the fact that sometimes knowing the context will inform your approach to a child in terms of you know leniency sometimes with the way you might treat them if they've missed a deadline for example or if they just seem a bit stuck with their work or they seem like they're not looking you know fully focused that's where I was coming from but that being said I do actually really like your point about the fact that subject knowledge and being a specialist in your area can actually help you build up a relationship and you're actually right because interestingly I was talking to a colleague about this earlier this week and I don't want to offend you I know you're a physicist but I really don't like maths and the reason why I don't like maths is because of the teacher she was very stubborn in the way she delivered her lessons. And if we didn't get it, that was it. It was our fault. And she never adapted it to make us understand you either got it or you didn't. And I remember that to this day. So I do actually see where you're coming from that had she actually tried to, you know, sort of instill a passion for her subject in me, then I would have actually gotten better with her and had better memories of her. And I, and I don't. <laughs> and it is because of the way she delivered a subject. So you changed my mind, Mr. Sherrington. That was quick. <laughs> Well, it's funny, it's like, you know, I, I, I wrote, I mean, sometimes you get asked this, you know, people, people often talk about it, you know, who was your favourite teacher? And mm. my favourite teacher when I was at school was a, a guy called Mr King, who taught me physics. And I wrote a blog about him a, few, a year or so ago. And, and uh, right. the, the way I remember him is of him looking a bit like Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> quite, sort of da- quite sort of dapper and, you know, very well dressed all the time and very smart. And very um, softly spoken, and mm. he 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 didn't he 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 knew my he, he I actually know that he knew um, my mum sort of in, indirectly because we live in the same town. But he didn't know he never he never told me he never sort of said anything to me which was personal. He never asked me how I was. He, he never we never had a personal conversation. Mm. But I would say I had a really good relationship with him because he he knew that I was enthusiastic about physics to the point where I went to university to study it later. But he, and he, he, he helped me with that. He was, he, he was, lessons were interesting. He had a great relationship with his students, but it was mm. through, through being like monumentally serious about teaching his subject. And that commanded huge respect. Like when you went in his lessons, it was like no mucking about, no nonsense. This is, this stuff is interesting. And, important. and that's why we're all here. Wow. So, so, and I, and I, that was good. And that, to me, that's, that's quite, um, quite, quite interesting. And in fact, other teachers who've in sometimes, I've had a few teachers who tried to sort of ingratiate themselves with you, you know, and, and be too down with the kids kind of thing. And you don't. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I've, no. I'm fully with you on that. <laughs> I've mistaken, I've made that mistake a few times in my life. Oh, my God. Haven't we all, though, Tom, in fairness? I mean, you know, when you, when you knew, in my days, it was an NQT, now it's like RQT and ECT, and goodness knows what acronyms, but everyone's made that mistake. We think, you know what, if I'm down with the kid, they'll think I'm cool, they'll behave for me. Uh-uh. 
<laughs> I learned the wrong way. That was the worst possible thing to do. You're absolutely right. When you've got that respect from them, you really yeah. do. You build it. Honestly, you really are changing my mindset. I sure feel like I'm getting converted to something else now. I, I just, I, well, I tell you another another thing. I feel like is um, like gets mixed up in this whole discussion is about relationships being relate the same as sort of being liked, and and mm. and, and, mm. and I think that's really problematic. So. Like I can't go into a room of teenagers and and make them like me. Like mm. I can't try to do that. All I can do is I'm a professional. I know my subject. I know how to explain things, and I'm trying to get them to learn it. So I have to find out what they know and engage with them at the level of being learners. And they may not even like it. They might not want to be there. And I kind of can't really I can't really do much about that. All I can do is say, well, look, the deal is this. Here's the curriculum, and there's a reason for you to be here. But I'm going to try to get you interested in the subject. And hopefully that you're going to come with me on that journey. And through the teaching of that subject and my enthusiasm for it, you can sort of take it or leave it, but I, that's the, that's what the business is. And if you leave knowing the subject in a deep level, then then I've done my job and you've learned some stuff. Now, if through that process you, you know, develop a, uh, you, you, you know, a relationship which is warmer and friendlier or whatever, that, mm-hmm. that's great. But it's a product of the process. If I start worrying about, oh my God, I'm not sure if my year lines lines like me or not, it's like, oh, it's, it's too stressful. Like, I I can't I can't know about that. That's like whatever. They may go outside the door and and say things or whatever and say, oh, I hate that subject. But I can't really. There's only so much I could control, and all I can control, yeah. what I do with them and trust the material. I have to trust the material. I have to make the trip material interesting. And I do have to make it interesting for them, not just for me. So I have to say, so I do think there's an interesting thing. Like there's a great guy called um, Arthur Shimamura, who um, mm. who's written a paper, Marge, which I'm a big fan of. Nimish Ladd has written a great inaction book about it. And one of the things he talks about there is this sort of thing of motivating learn- students to think about the material is to sort of involve them, connect their emotions to it and, you know, this is part of the cognitive science that if you're sort of feeling connected to the learning, you're going to be more motivated to engage with it. So that clearly you've got to get students thinking, what does this mean? Why does this mean something to them? You know, how would you feel about this? What do you think is going to happen next? If you were there, what do you think you'd be thinking? How do you, what do you, which one of these do you prefer? And you're giving students the ceiling like it matters to you. It's not, I'm not just telling you stuff. I'm trying to put you in it. And I think connecting kids to the learning is part of relationship building. Yeah. But, you know, actually, sorry to interrupt you, but as you say, I'm just thinking of my own lessons when, of, across the span of my 17-ish years in this, in this field. And actually, you're absolutely right, because the lessons were, I wasn't the fun, let's make the lesson all whistles and bells and what have you. Behaviour was actually more tricky because the yeah. barriers and the boundaries sort of just blurred. Yeah. Whereas where I was more firm and I was like, let's just let's just really enrich you with lots of knowledge, not like empty vessels to fill, but let me actually really develop your love for literature, develop your love, I'm an English teacher by the way, develop your love for literature and for language. You're absolutely right. I did get that respect and then the relationship almost naturally just flowed. Yeah. And followed. I think exactly. I, I, I think that's that, that sometimes you try too hard. But, yeah. there, but there's a whole other side of it. Like um, a friend of mine who's a really amazing teacher, He he's... Um, he has this incredible gift for just making the students he teaches feel like he's really like there for them. And I think there's something, sometimes I think it's, I admire it, but I don't think everyone could be like that. So there's, you have to be careful sometimes about validating sort of, you know, 
putting people on a pedestal for how wonderful their relationships are with their students if it's not something which is kind of transferable to a more average person. So I see, when I see him, I go to, I've, I've been to school several times and you see him like, you're talking in the corridor, you're talking, you know, he's on duty and he's chatting and he's supervising and you're going, mm-hmm. oh God, it's a tough day. Got five period day, da da da. He's feeling pretty stressed really, actually. <laughs> but then near the, near the end of the, the break, he sees his students coming and immediately he switches into, Hi guys, hey, great to see you. Come on in. He's like straight away, lively, <laughs> embracing them, like like it's the best moment of his day. You know, welcoming at the door. Good to see you guys. Come on in. Brilliant. We're getting stuck in, and that's the energy he gives to his lessons. Like it's just so brilliant. And you think, I love that. You know, a lot of teachers are like that. But that feeling for them, they weren't turning up to a teacher having a a hard day who was going to offload on them. They were coming to someone who was really pleased to see them and made that feel evident. And then, right, let's go and learn about George Orwell, you know. So for me, that's, there are, there are sort of, that, that, that relationship building is in amongst all of this. It's, there's, there's lots of aspects to it, aren't there? No, absolutely. I remember vividly, and may she rest in peace, sadly, she's not with us anymore, but my PGC tutor, back in the day of PGC being the biggest one going, goes both to skit, et cetera. And she said, the best teachers are failed actors and actresses because a lot of the job sometimes you have to actually mask what you're actually feeling. And as you rightly said, Tom, not to offload onto your students, but to be that happy and yay, you know, sort of embody the passion that you actually have. And it actually made me giggle when you treated it. I were very kind in your account that you felt I was enthusiastic because a lot of people do say that about me. That Where did you get the energy from to always be so energetic? And I'm like, well, if I look like I'm depressed or I hate my subject, how can I possibly expect my students to love it? I like to model. I know some people you know, may feel differently about that because they might say, is that sustainable to do that every single lesson? Um, but for me, I feel that if I can just model the passion I want them to have, I don't know yeah, what I, and criticize no, to heart's content. <laughs> no, I think I think I think enthusiasm is important. But I, so it's it's sort of you know there are levels there are there are levels of that. So for example, I saw um, you know sometimes you know you go to a primary school and you see two teachers side by side. So they're both teaching say year five, and you know you can see one teacher who's a kind of quite a a formal person there. You know they're 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 teaching in a very in a quite a serious what we might think of as quite a serious way that it's they're modeling writing and stuff is quite technical in lots of ways and they're they're, they're doing mm, they're, they're, they're good at the questioning and they're modeling and there's a kind of you know work work working kind of atmosphere there and you're thinking there's a kind of seriousness to it but it's working mm. and the students are engaging and there's questioning and there's an enthusiasm but it's a kind of understated enthusiasm and the class next door the teachers are all like, oh, lovely, darling. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, God. Oh, what an amazing answer. Oh, excellent. And you're thinking, it, it's not like that one teacher has a better relationship with their class than the other, or one, one teacher is better than the other. They're just different. Mm. And I, that's so important. Like one teacher's rapport with their class is them being themselves, a bit more serious, a bit more understated, and the other person is a bit more gushy and over-the-top enthusiasm. It's wrong to judge either one against the other. They're just totally individual people teaching really well with an, you know, and you have to, so you have to be careful about saying this is kind of teachers should do this or teachers should do that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Be, be yourself, you know, express yourself with your students like you do with people. You're a person and you have character and personality. So I feel like that's so important that you're, there's authenticity there. You, you are, you are yourself and you, 
you have to sort of go into teaching and the classroom thinking, God, if I can't be myself with these kids, I, I, that's the real thing. If you feel that like you have to be someone else to teach. Oh, God, no, honestly, I say this all the time, and I've done umpteen like student voices, etc., for various things, you know, for like QA and what have you. And I always say that children are so astute. If you really want a really honest opinion about what's happening in classroom, just ask them. And they will tell you exactly as it is. And they're like, they've got these like senses that can pick up whether you're being yourself or you're putting on a show. And I, th I think it's really interesting what you said about comparing those two primary school teachers, Tom, because some children that I've supported with safeguarding more so than send actually prefer the serious teacher because they it grates on them to have a teacher who's like, yay, look, let's play guitar at break time and sing a song or something. They don't like that. They actually prefer to have seriousness. Let's get down. Everyone learning. Boom. So... I can actually, I actually wholeheartedly agree with you there that some students actually prefer the non-enthusiastic, yeah. if you will. So you sort of, you have to sort of give yourself a break, don't you, and say like, I, you know, so you, you see people, you know, with different relation types of relationships. I mean, I see lots of lots of teachers all the time. So, in, in I, th this week I haven't, um, I've been into some some lessons in a college earlier this week, so I've seen several teachers teach this week, and I every week I see several teachers teach, and you. There's different characters all the, all the way through. I saw an amazing lesson this week. This is crazy. I saw a hmm. lesson in a college this week, which is a, a health and social care um, course, where the teacher, because of COVID and various issues, was uh, sort of virtually permanently isolating at home and was teaching from home via via, via technology, via Zoom, big big like big screen, almost Big Brother size face on this on the in the classroom. All, all her students are in the class in the college, and she's there at home seeing them, and they can see her. And she was amazing. It was I just thought it was amazing. She was like reaching into the room, going, "So Joanna, like, what do you think?" And just hang on a minute, guys. Just Joanna's just saying something. And jo Joanna, so <laughs> what's your what's your point? Yeah, that's really interesting. And she was really like questioning and holding their attention from the screen, even though she wasn't even in the room. I thought this is amazing. You know, like you, she, it was really amazing how the technology sort of didn't impede this because she knew their names she was using their names and knew them and was involving them all it was amazing and so that was to me really interesting to see how a, a teacher's character can like burst through the wall of a, it takes of, up doing i've been in that position and it really yeah. is hard it really it's hard is. yeah but she was doing it you know to be fair there was like a there was a, a an adult a a, 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 a an a learning support person in the room mm. but these are sort of and now they are sort of teen they are like 16 year olds 17 year olds but still it's it's just it was just so interesting to see someone have a, a type of relation a type of relationship with those learners where they were really interested in what she was saying they really cared about what she wanted to to tell them because they were interested in passing that course and yeah so, again, again you say that takes time doesn't it that that yeah. can't be rushed it can't happen overnight that literally does take investment if yeah. you will really really does but i want to keep talking but i, I always i always love when i have to do these things but we've got to take a quick break tom i do apologize and i always say to my listeners get have a wee have a tea and bring back a bourbon biscuit no one ever brings back a bourbon biscuit so i'm going to keep plugging it until i get a sponsor from somewhere so don't go anywhere listeners we're going to have a quick news and tech break and we'll continue our conversation with tom at the other end of this so speaking a bit tom This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care.
They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In England, the government has announced that in order to keep a track of homeschooled children, a register of children not in school will be created. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused an explosion in the number of homeschooled children, but it is impossible to be certain of the true number because there is no statutory register. The Education Secretary, Nadim Sahawi, said, while the majority of children already learn in a calm, well-maintained classroom, and some learn at home with dedicated parents, there are areas across the country where high standards are not being met. Legislation to create the first local authority register for children not in school would make sure every child gets the start in life they deserve. The International Day of Education was celebrated on the 24th of January, with Nigeria joining the international community. Education in Nigeria has been reported as being in a dire state, with UNICEF reporting 
that even though primary education is officially free and compulsory, about 10.5 million of the country's children aged 5 to 14 years are not in school. Peter Hawkins, the UNICEF representative in Nigeria, said, Millions of Nigerian children have never set foot in a classroom, and this is a travesty. Perhaps equally tragic is the high number of children who make it into a classroom but never make the transition from primary school to secondary school, thereby cutting off their chances of a secure future. It is reported that one in five out-of-school children in the world is Nigerian. In 2021, there were 25 attacks on schools, 1,440 children were abducted and 16 children were killed. Even more vulnerable children remain in captivity of bandits and kidnappers. The health and safety of students and improved working conditions for teachers need to be enhanced. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, as we approach Safe Internet Day next week, it's the 8th of February, if you didn't know, I'm going to take a look at keeping yourself safe as a teacher. I'm not going to go into your digital footprint or how you use social media. That's been covered in your safeguarding training, no doubt, and should be common sense. There is, however, a real grey area when it comes to teachers and using their phones in school. Before I start, all schools should have a policy on mobile phones, and you should have read it. I suggest, if you're not sure what it is, then you find out. There is DFE guidance for searching, screening and confiscating for pupils. For staff, policies in schools range from SLT having different rules to other staff, so they can be contacted, to phones must be switched off or on silence when pupils are present. Some are even introducing a smartwatch policy as they become increasingly more popular. The first step to keeping yourself safe is to make sure you know what is expected in your school as it's the individual schools that decide and there is no official guidance. The next step is a choice. Images, still or moving, are a great way to evidence work and to feedback to pupils. If your policy allows it, using your phone is the simplest way as it's always with you. To give a real example, a PE teacher at a match doesn't need to remember to take the school camera and probably has a better camera on their phone anyway. But here's the dilemma. Should teachers have pictures of children on their personal phones? Again, school policy will dictate this and parents will have signed a form saying they give permission or not, so you're covered to take the picture, but the question still stands, should it be done on a personal device? This is where I feel the need to keep ourselves safe lies. How long do you keep the images on your phone? Are they automatically backed up into your personal cloud? How do you transfer from your device to the school storage? What if your phone's lost or stolen? I'm not here to provide an answer. I just want you to think about keeping yourself safe. If you take images on a school device, you avoid all of these issues. It may be a little more effort, but in the rare event of an allegation, it's a lot simpler to investigate. Please think about your use of personal devices in school. And if your policy isn't keeping up with what you're doing, consider raising For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay, that was the news ad and tech break. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for staying with myself and the one and the only Mr. Tom Sherrington. We have been having discussions about 
pastoral and curriculum and the relationship between the two. And I've also become converted as a pastoral member of staff. So again, thank you, Tom. I think I'm getting CPD through this interview, which is fantastic. Now, Tom, EduShare blog. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if this is not um, trending on Twitter because the amount of blogs I've seen pop up after you started to advocate and encourage people to blog has been nothing short of inspirational. And the only reason I haven't taken part is purely sadly because of lack of time at the moment. I, I read regularly read a number of blogs, including obviously the ones that you post and learn from all of them. But I will honestly say this, and it's embarrassing, but it's not embarrassing at the same time in my defence. I think the one about Kareem and the bus stop method, genuinely, and I'm not being over emotional when I say this, I, I swear to you, it almost made me cry. And I'll tell you why it almost made me cry, because it, it spoke to me and it was something that I have as lived experience as a Senko for so long. Where, and please correct me if I've misinterpreted it, but the key thing I got from it was looking at the struggle, you know, like post-16 providers face because they have students coming to them who've got really low reading ages, massive knowledge gaps and skill gaps, which have sadly you know, been exacerbated over the course of the past five, six, seven years. And this question may be another interview in itself, in fairness, I do appreciate. It's quite significant. But how does how does this happen? You know, I, I always sit there, I, I find myself facing this challenge year upon year where I've got year 11s and they're 15 years of age and they've got a reading age of eight. And I've got people say, sorry, what do I do? What do I do? You know, we've got to get through the GCSE and do I enter them at all? Or, you know, what, what, can I just put them in something else, like a BTEC or something? What, what do I do? Because I've got them here now. And I've had a number of friends in primary and I've had quite a few arguments with them sometimes where they say, well, it's not our fault, it's your fault. I and mean, I know it's not our fault, it's your fault because why don't you pick up in year six that this child couldn't read? What's going wrong, Tom? That well, it's, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's, I do apologize, but <laughs> there's so much. I'm just checking. There's so much um, packed into that, and I think the whole thing of it being, uh, you know, about fault is is, is a problem. Well, that's just being friends, in fairness. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's like so. So why I, I do think at, at primary, and then at every level afterwards, that if if a, if a child has some basic issues with reading we're not in often geared up to provide the level of resource they need to to really just tackle that really head on mm. and you know you, you can be quite a poor reader going into secondary school in in a lot of scenarios to be honest and not get the direct teaching of reading that you need to improve and sometimes because you know there's a threshold for triggering the support so this is typical of lots of places where there's a threshold that triggers the most intensive support and there's a certain number of children who benefit from that and the truth is there just aren't enough places for that level of intensive support so the next level up students get a much weaker form of support yeah. um, which is better than nothing but it's not enough to actually make them accelerate them in in, in their reading really truly and I, I do think that's a real a real issue. But and yet those children are then going lesson to lesson to lesson, and reading isn't given sufficient priority within the curriculum. And lots of secondary school teachers are not taught explicitly how to run a room to do reading. It's just you know it's not a, a thing that they, they feel really comfortable with. And so it's it's something they sort of feel like they're guessing how to teach reading because they're not it's not being explicitly part of their teacher training. Yeah, yeah. If you're a maths teacher, 
how much of your training has been dedicated to how to do reading or, or science or geography? Well, not that much because there's lots of other things to learn. So I feel there's a lack of, of training around how to teach reading as a non-specialist teacher of reading. And I think in primary, I think the, the curriculum is so crowded that even there, um, you know, some individual children aren't given like you know the, the kind of the fluency around reading. So I mean, I'm not an expert on reading, but it's it is a, it is a factor. So you know, someone like Christopher Such, who, who I've heard do a podcast recently, he was making a very convincing case about strategies to, to to increase students' fluency and therefore the kind of how many words per minute they can read was a massive-ish thing. And if you can get students to just increase their confidence with um, the words they already know, if you like, just by reading them more fluently, then their kind of capacity to engage with more text and accumulate more vocabulary just goes up hugely. Yeah. But, but that means they've got to practice reading with more confidence, familiar texts, and there's, there are strategies for doing that. All, all of this stuff comes down to training beyond the initial introduction of reading through phonics and reading schemes and i just don't think we prioritize it enough in our whole system so that that's to do with reading but i mean with the karim and the bus stop method that was to do mm. with him not knowing how to divide numbers yeah and there 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 i think there are some gaps there so you know when karim divided eight thousand three hundred by seven and was getting an answer 150 he wasn't thinking oh that's a bit small like it 8,000 divided by 7 is going to be bigger than 1,000, and I've got a number smaller than that, so it can't be right. He was just thinking, I've done something with some numbers, and that's the answer that I got, so that, that's it, you know. Yeah. So this sort of, this sort of bigger, bigger sort of uh, conceptualization of what maths is and the size of numbers, that, that type of maths education happens at an early age, and then you go past it, and then teachers no longer sort of emphasize that type of concrete schema building. And then it's like he spent his last five years at school probably just trying to keep his head above water in lessons. Absolutely. And not Absolutely. actually being taught back to the level he needed to be taught at because the teachers were probably thinking, well, I've got to cover all this stuff. Yes, pressures, so, external pressures, it's insane. I mean, I, I, I think, what's the root of that? The root is that for some children, the curriculum's too crowded. I think that's the basic. Mm. So as a school, you've got to be quite brave at saying, we're ambitious for this child, but let's face it, what's the most important thing here is to get them to really read well and to be able to get some fundamental ideas nailed. And that's what we, they should be prioritising. Honestly, I, th I think I speak on behalf of all Senkos when I say this, Tom, that you literally are speaking to our souls right now because that is the battle that we in particular face. But it's also then finding the happy medium between that, which I wholeheartedly agree with you, but then also this don't discriminate against my child. They need to have access to a broad and balanced curriculum like everybody else. And it's trying to find, you know, a way of making sure we don't rob this child of an opportunity but yeah. as you rightly say and i'm going to sound biased because i'm an english teacher sorry but you know they do need to be able to be literate and they do have to have you know numeracy skills to be able to survive and to just progress to the next level but it's just and again this question may be too substantial in fairness for what we've got less than an hour left now but where do we start to try to i hate to use this word but fix this, I mean, if I could ask you as I, sorry to embarrass you, but you are like a curriculum guru as far as I'm concerned. If I, me, I'm asking for me now, actually, 
I've got year 11s who've got very low reading ages. What would you advise I do? Well, it's 11. February now, you know. In, in year 11, I'd, I'd be thinking, well, of course, you know, there's all sorts of factors to do with, you know, exams coming up and all the rest. Yeah. Of it. I'd be looking at the whole diet of what they need. And um, I, mean, I think at this point, you know, February going into exam season, you've got to make sure that students are tooled up to study and they know what they're supposed to learn and have a plan of action. Like, you know, look, February, March, April, May. Yeah, yeah. It's very, pra very pragmatic. It's like, what's the, what's the total stuff you need to do? Right, let's have a look at it. Let's face that enormous challenge. What what are what what do you need to learn? What's the resources you have? And and make sure that students have got some kind of process that allows them to practice and get better at things, you know, with some effort. So how are you going to revise your science? You know, what is your science uh, revision guides, knowledge booklets, mm -hmm. practice questions? Okay. When you're going to study your science, what are you going to do? You're going to to try to read those questions and do and so they've, you've just got to be very practical about the process and it's not generic study skills it's how do i revise the science i need okay maths what where, where are you with maths okay you're here with maths what maths questions are you finding hard okay which questions can help you practice where are you going to get the support right what can the student do to help themselves with maths well they can practice these questions which questions math department guides you on that and that's what it's like. It's subject by subject. What can I do to practice? That's the question. And that's where a subject specialist needs to support you as a senko in doing that. But it's the, the, the generic stuff can be like, when are you, where are you going to study and time management and stuff. But the actual yeah. study processes themselves are quite specific to the subject. If it's coursework, deadlines, you know, when, are you, when is it due in? How are you going to manage that? What does an excellent example look like? Is yours excellent? Yeah, all those sorts of, Again, it's you've got to get into the detail because that's where it lies, and the students need very practical support. Now, of course, earlier on in school, you're talking about things like low low reading age. Then you just got to, as an as a senko, I would say, be part of a of a whole school sort of process, which is saying, how can we make it so that every day the children read say twice as many words a day as they do now and and what would that look like what, what let's get this the, the the mileage in as christopher such would say the, this the number of words that they're, they're reading and practicing reading so how do we do reading in maths how do we do reading in science how do we reading in english how do we do reading in history how do we do reading in geography etc the subjects with a lot of lit, you know literacy and those sort of areas where there, there's a lot of uh, reading to do or could be what are the texts? Where do they? What types of texts are they? And making sure there's a really strong reading culture embedded in the curriculum every day, so that they're a bit like the fitness analogy. It's like having someone who's like massively unfit. How are we going to get them up their fitness up? Well, what yeah. are the what's the what's their exercise regime? And and that's what every day should feel like. Every day you've read loads more words than you did yesterday, and you've practiced reading more. And it, you can't just wait for your reading intervention. You know, it's got to happen up every day. And, and so you need a, a strategy for doing the reading and texts to read, which the teachers don't feel are extra. It's got to be embedded into their curriculum. So that's, that's what I think. Senkos can be hugely influential in that, making reading an absolutely driver, driving force in the curriculum. I'll tell you something, Tom. 
that's your next bestseller right there. <laughs> I'm telling you, you write that what you've just said to me into a book. I can guarantee you, St. Coles worldwide will purchase that book. I promise you. you I don't just need a book. Just, I just write that. I just you can just write what I just said on the on the back of an envelope. I mean, just... <laughs> <laughs> write your blog. Then there you go. Your next blog. Your, your most popular blog. Most like my most read blog. That that, that is. Absolutely fantastic. Well, this, is, this is, I mean, I, I, you know, this is what, what someone like um, Alex Quigley is saying. I mean, he, yes. he, he's closing the reading gap, closing the writing gap. The, mm. this, this is what he's saying. You know, there are some. So he, here's the thing. I mean, let's, let's be really you know, geeky about it. Like, for example, here's a strategy which Christopher Such modelled to me and talked yeah. in his podcast, and I've I've tested it out with adults because I don't have my own classes anymore. But I've tested that with adults in training, and it's just really amazing to see this work so his, he suggests that he calls it i think he called it oral reading so you need to model the reading so i let me say i read a text so that you can hear the 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 rhyming you know the kind of the, the rhythm and rhyme of the text and get the meaning of what it's being is being said so i'll read it to you i'm modeling how to pronounce the words and get the meaning but then how do i make sure every child has also practiced that reading well they read it again so he said in his class so he'll read a, t- a passage to them and then they, in pairs, one person will read the same passage to the other, and then they'll swap and read it back, or they'll do pa- paragraph one, paragraph two. So, in other words, the students reread the same passage that you've just read to them, and they've heard it modelled, and you've got a whole room of children reading aloud simultaneously, thereby rehearsing, saying all the words that they've heard already said. So they already know the meaning of the text because that's come through you doing it, but then they're practicing the reading by doing it out loud and everyone's involved. And I just think, what a great idea. And I've tested that. And it's just really amazing hearing people uh, rehearsing language that there's on fit. So I use this text, which has got lots of words in that people haven't met before. And mm-hmm. just hear, hearing them or reading them, it's just like, there you go. Look at you all practicing saying all those words. And then that to me is a really simple strategy of, of one of many where your average secondary school teacher, for example, does not know that strategy and wouldn't do that. And the, yeah, it's it's really really um, has it has it's very productive. So You're absolutely right, and it's so simple. That's the biggest thing I always hear with staff is, and my most successful CPD sessions are where literally they say, "I can just take it and use it." There's yeah. no extra effort. It's not, not additional on top of everything I'm doing. It just that is such a beautifully simple strategy. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of, it gets away from this. I think people agonise about it, and I have agonised about it, and I've tested Ooh. it out. So, do I read? Do I read around the room, one student at a time? Um, mm, okay, that is, that okay. Is it can be. So So, if I'm sort of, you know, student 12, I've had to listen to 11 other students read. Am I following the text? Am I practicing my reading? Well, I don't know. I mean, I might be following the text, I might not be, but I'm not really practicing reading as such. I'm just sort of keeping up. So how much practice am I getting myself at reading? Well, not that much but I'm sort of getting a sense of the story. Do I stop and, int- and explain all the words as they come up or do I wait till the end and then go back and explain them all? And, and it's like all of these things are are like, oh, I don't know. So is it this? What's right? What's wrong? And people agonize about which is the right way around. But mm. so there are, and the, the answer is really that it's a mixture of these things. You sometimes read to the students. Sometimes you hear them read. Sometimes they follow with the text. And this thing of, Joint of reading together simultaneously that Chris was talking about. I just think, well, that's a strategy which I feel is hugely powerful. But so it's another one to add to the mix. I just think we should be talking a lot more in the profession about 
these details and the, the practice of reading being much more embedded and so that it's not some weird thing we're in year 11. Oh, God, the year 11s aren't very good on the worded questions. <laughs> like, Ooh, just... Oh, God, if I got a penny for every time. <laughs> <laughs> I could buy an island, I swear to God. And, yeah, anyway, so it's, it's um, I just think it's that, that that's something which students can avoid it. it. I watch a lot, like I said before, I watch a lot of lessons, and it is amazing to me just that how easy it is, even with a really great teacher, to kind of opt out in lessons. Like you don't have to do the thinking. I can just look like I'm doing the busy work. Um, I don't have to do the reading. I don't have to do the thinking. And yet it looks like I've done stuff in my book and kind of that's the deal. And if I get it through the lesson, no one bothers me. And, you know, it's, it's actually quite easy to not learn very much in a whole hour. Um, yes. And that's... Without, if you've got a stressed out teacher, so I should interrupt you, Tom. You've got a stressed yeah. out teacher thinking, I've got four more lessons after this. I've got to mark this for the moderation. I've got to plan this for this. Yeah. I'll sit around the corner. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, half my department's off with COVID. You know, it is it is stressful. And I'm not saying teachers are lazy, they're far from it. Absolutely oh, far from it. But it's the case of the stress, I could just let it all tumble no, over there. Nothing, just, just... None of this is anything to do with being anyone being lazy. It's the opposite. No, no, but... absolutely not. It's the truth is, this is the thing, this is why CPD and coaching and school cultures need to help this. The fact that it's just inherently difficult, you know, it's really yes. hard. It's really hard to notice all of that. If you've got students who are kind of look like they're busy and doing stuff and you're doing your best to sample the room and check for understanding and stuff, it's still, you're not there on the pulse of every child's every moment. Of course you can't be. So, you just you have to have routines which do uh, do a better job of maximising the ratio of children who are thinking, talking, listening, explaining, and so you know that's what and that's where the all the, the good techniques are all about maximising how many children are doing things, not just being really chuffed that a student gave you a lovely answer. It's like <laughs> we, we've, we've just, I've really been there. I'm not going to lie, because <laughs> <laughs> it was a really tough student in my defence back in the day when I was much younger than I. I was like, yeah. Yeah. He's done my head in for a month and now he finally gave me a cracking answer. Woohoo. Yeah. It does happen. It does happen. Well, my pet, my, or, or another thing which is, does, is amuses me how easy it is to fall into the trap of not even a student gives you a good answer, but between us, we came up with a good answer. And I just think that's hilarious. Like, it's a bit like saying, uh, you know, what a, like, do we all, do we all know the colors of the rainbow? And so you say, Okay, John, you know, who, who knows one of the colours? Red, who else? Orange, and you've got, you know, green, blue, indigo. Well done, brilliant, guys. And so between us, we know the colours of the rainbow. Woohoo! And, and, and I'm just thinking like, because I've done that too. <laughs> like, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be depressing if, like, between us, we couldn't come up with all the answers? But, of course, yeah. it's like, that's not the deal. The deal is, can each one of you individually do it? And that, that's a whole other level of thinking. And that, that's where the Karim and the bus stop method arises because yeah. he has sat in lesson after lesson through his school life where he didn't have to think someone else gave the answer, he just was there listening, or he might have chipped in a bit of the answer, but no one, ever, no one expected him to give the full answer. So always just subtly un under-challenged, under-stretched, not, or not noticed a little bit all the time, and then ends up kind of in a bit you know, in the dark about some of the fundamentals. That's what happens. And they, they, that's something we need to be really working hard as a profession to be really focusing on, yeah. the, the dynamics of classrooms. And 
I just think it's where all the action is. All the action is in the dynamics of classrooms and how you run the room to, 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 to maximize learning. And there's a lot of other stuff out there which is total BS and gets in the way of that, to be honest. <laughs> oh, there's plenty. This is what I say nowadays in particular. I have nothing but the utmost respect for ECTs entering this profession when they are just flooded with supposed fads of, oh, read my book or do this or do that. And they just get confused and then they try different things because they're desperate to make it work. And then they end up either leaving the profession or just getting very close to you because they just do the wrong things. And I think for me personally, what you said, what particularly has resonated with me, Tom, is the fact that when I asked you the question, what's going wrong and how can we fix it in terms of having this cycle of, Children coming up again and again every year seems to be the same story. I've got year 11, they've got no reading age. Oh, my God, look at our progress. You know, our study going to come, et cetera, et cetera. It is down to the teacher training. Because the only reason, for example, I can confidently teach, you know, explicitly teach reading is because I'm an English graduate by trade. I know for a fact, comfortably, and I'm, not, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying this, a large number of my colleagues would comfortably say to me, I can't. And they come and double-check things like, you know, any anything even on a smaller level that they, they, they struggle to do it, and you're, I think you're absolutely right on that. It needs to change from there to actually, you know, stock creams being made every single year. Well, yeah, and well, I, you know, obviously that's why CPD is so important because an average teacher has got has got curriculum stuff to think about, um, behaviour management things to think about, you know, questioning techniques or pedagogical things to think about. As well as safeguarding, blah blah, blah all these other, you know, not say I'm not saying that's small, but knowing the rules, knowing the thing about the, the data system, the, the list of things. I, I did it, one of my blogs, you know, like about the CPD curriculum. The list of things yeah. teachers need to know about. Oh, it's it's insane. It's pretty demanding. So I feel like it's quite good where schools schools have been quite savvy about this. Like I've seen quite a few like CPD kind of portals where you can like everyone needs to watch the ten minute briefing on. The latest guidance. You don't all have to go to the hall to hear Dave, the deputy head, tell everyone the <laughs> guidance. You can just watch him explain it on a video in your own time, and then sign off to say, "Yeah, I've acknowledged," or do a little quiz and show you've done it, whatever. And that mm -hmm. to me is much more intelligent than making everyone sit there so that you can feel I had them all in front of me. I know I've told them, and therefore they must know it. And so sometimes flexing the CPD structures. And giving maximum time for people to be in their teams uh, is 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 really. I tell key. you, I can vouch for that because one of my uh, most successful CPD sessions was actually online. I didn't actually physically. Nobody came together anywhere, and staff gave really really positive feedback. And what I found was staff gave more thorough feedback because they felt more in control of it. It wasn't being done to them; they actually got to own it and actually have the autonomy to actually engage with it the way they wanted the pace they wanted and I found some stuff actually spent longer than they were supposed to so I fully agree with you that the more flexibility the better long yeah. one of the days of deputy Dave <laughs> especially now with social distancing we can't anyway because it's like oh everything's on teams everything's on teams now no it's, 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 go on I was just thinking I could talk about just CPD itself in, in it's uh, I mean I, that's all I do I mean it's my whole job now and Absolutely. I I I did quite a lot of um, <clears throat> sessions where a whole group of people from different schools are, are, are talking to me about um, what they're doing and they're sharing that. And it's so interesting how every, you know, schools are all very niche. So yesterday talking to some people and some were saying, yeah, in our school we're, you know, we're two form entry primary school and 
nobody really has really much released time to go and observe each other and so on. So that's that issue. Another school, you know, opposite issue, we've got 1,500 kids in a secondary school. We've got 100 teachers. It's a lot of people to be coached, and we've only got so many people who can do the coaching. And, and so scale issues and man, how you coordinate finding the time slots for people to do coaching and CPD. So the structure in a, a school of where the training happens and, the, and the, the time allocated to it, I just think it's such a fundamental thing to think through. And you know, every time you're doing a training session, you should know when the next one is. So you're thinking, okay, between now and next time, then this is what we're all going to go and do and see if we can achieve this by then. And mm. sometimes teachers really know it. Like I go to some schools where you think, whoa, they, this is epic. Like, whoa, look at that. Amazing. they got that all that time and the teachers are saying it's great we've got loads of time in our teams and we have this we, we have this briefing here we have this whole school thing and they all kind of know it and others where they're going oh what is it all in the, in the hall again oh, okay what's it about oh, i don't know what when's the next session no idea it's like no it's like a total lack the total opposite of everyone knowing it it's just kind of no one's really thought about it and you know so yeah, you're, you're all right. Sorry to interrupt you, because we've got a CPD calendar in our school and it works really, really well. But I have to make a very embarrassing confession now. And I must make it because I feel like I'm a sleep of a doubt. I don't know if you remember or not, Tom. And I won't swear, so I won't re repeat the exact language you utilised, but it was a pretty heated text. And I've only been on Twitter about two and a half-ish months. <laughs> and you, you weren't very happy about the fact that people were asking others to rate CPD. And I think it was something on the lines of someone messaged you to say, oh, look, you got really positive CPD, you know, um, sorry, positive feedback on your CPD sessions. And I think it was something on the lines of, I'm never going to go back to this school because they're rating my CPD. And I was rating my CPD in my own school at the time. And I thought, oh, God, if Tom ever found out. <laughs> I just had to confess that to you that I've stopped doing it now, but I was guilty of that up until about November twenty twenty one. I mean, you know, you you'd be you'd be reason within your rights to accuse me of being oversensitive about these things, but I just feel like, um, you know, like we're we're all professionals and we're all trying to do our best. And when I'm doing my best to, to training day or whatever with a school and they've got their own journey. I don't really feel I want, I need to, I'm not trying to impress anybody. You know what I mean? I'm not there to try to dance a dance. I'm there to sort of deliver material so that you guys can go off and, 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 and use it. And I sort of trust that material is, is sound. And it's, I don't feel like I'm there to sort of get a rating. And if you give me 4.2 or 4.6 on average or whatever, like an Uber driver <laughs> or, a, or a restaurant or something, I'm thinking, that's just a bit rude because, you know, I haven't come here to be rated. I have come here to do what I can to support you. That and, impact. And, it, and if, you, if you're kind of was, you know, if, if like a couple of people thought it wasn't quite what they wanted, I'm thinking, well, well, kind of there's something I can do about that because this is kind of what I can share with you. It's a, it's a bit like, um, you know, sort of going to a restaurant that's like a, a Chinese restaurant and then saying it's a shame that there wasn't more, you know, um, Japanese food <laughs> because it's like, <laughs> Well, that was a different. That would have been a different restaurant. Like if you are, if you've asked me to come, this is me. You know, so this here I am, and doing my thing. And if you're, if that was only a four point two, it's a bit like saying, um, I, this. I mean, this is really going off the top. Oh, I want to be more Tom Bennett. Is that what you mean? Well, exactly. <laughs> and Wrong. That, it's it's not it. That it's, it's, not, it's it's actually literally true that one, I once had an email from somebody saying to me. Well, it was different with Tom Bennett. <laughs> I said, well, 
Right, no, that's fine with him. If he was happy with that, he might have been happy with that. But I'm just saying, uh, and it's not 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 for me. So you know, it's like <laughs> you no, know, the bit one. I I think when it's when it was the Euro Euros of football, yeah, and, and Roy Keane was on doing his commentary, and like there was this sort of ranking the commentators. Oh God! And like, and like Roy Keane got a certain rating. And I was thinking, how ridiculous is it? Like Roy Keane gets a rating. It's like Roy Keane is Roy Keane. Like it's ridiculous to have to have a rating for him, sort of being a pundit. It, it, to me, that's just weird. It's like rating teachers, rating schools. Oh God! Do you remember ratingteacher.com? Oh, like, oh my Lord! It was horrendous. But sorry to go off tangent here. <laughs> I was giggling to myself. You know, when you were talking about, I'm really nervous now, when you were talking about your favourite teacher and you said that he looked like Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah. Do you remember you tweeted a picture, sorry, you tweeted a picture of you and Ollie, and I'm not, I know that, I'm not lying, I genuinely thought he was a pose like the Pet Shop Boys, and incidentally, Tom Bennett actually tweeted that photograph with a photo of Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys. I just thought that was quite um, quite interesting that you, you chose to pick a teacher. Who looked like Neil Tennant, and then Tom Bennett actually retweeted you with Tom with um, Neil Tennant above you. I just think, you know, that, I think that's a sign. Maybe Don't know what I'll, but... I'd be happy with that, Mr. You know, Neil Tennant, Mr. King. That's all good. <laughs> but this thing about this about going back to this thing about the rating, I I, yeah. I think it's the wrong emphasis. You know, it's like the, obviously CPD could be poor, and you need to, to if it was poor, you could say that that was poor. But this idea that we kind of give things a score, just generally in educating like that, is just for me. Ugly. It's just not helpful. What, what um, about then, though? Sorry, if I'm delivering CPD and I'm trying to, like, obviously, I've not been. Not, maybe not, obviously, but my, I've not been in my role a full year yet. And for me, the way I rated my safeguarding CPD initially was to gauge if my approach was something staff actually liked and how useful they found it. Almost like a sort of evaluative tool to help me better the way I delivered. What are your thoughts on that? Well, let's say you wanted to find that out. And if the rate, the ratings are skin, the way I used to find this like with surveys, you know, what if if someone is like, let's say you get a response which says eighty two percent said um, good or very good. Mm. What does that mean? Is that good? Is that a good score? What if it was eighty eight percent? You sort of start thinking, oh, it was eighty two. Now it's gone up to eighty eight percent. Well, maybe it's just the different the way people rated it was slightly different. You don't really know, and you get bogged down in figures meaning much more than they ever can. But if someone said to you, if you just said which aspects of the CPD would you like me to do more of? No, no I had that too. I, that. I had that both. And which, <laughs> and which things do you think, um, you know, you, you just, you know, were missing that I could do instead? And, and you just get actionable feedback. The scores are unactionable. It just doesn't tell you anything. It's like, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's so anyway, so I, that, that's the thing. That with, I have to say, with just with the school that I got annoyed about rating me, I, they actually said, do you want the feedback? And I said, no. <laughs> And they and they said, well, they, but they sent, they, sent, they sent it to me anyway. They sent it to me anyway. So, <laughs> so. But. Oh dear, never mind. It made them feel better. I'm sure. I'm sure they. It came from a good place, Tom. I'm sure it yeah. came from a good place. But sadly, they've lost you ever coming back to them ever again. Now, I've got to move on to this question. It, 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 we've had pens in in my very short Twitter time thus far. We've had pens causing Twitter battles, edu edu Twitter battles. We've had badges, I believe. Causing editor tobacco. I'm sure there's other stuff as well, but lanyards, <laughs> if I may discuss. Now, I said I've only been on Twitter two and a half ish months, but in my time of following you, which has been pretty much from the very start of the time I've been on Twitter, I don't think I've ever seen you have to delete a tweet. And I just want to say this publicly now. I was too scared to type it in Twitter, but I'm not scared to say it on my own show on Teacher Talk Radio. 
I am a DSL as well as a Senko. And I actually fully agreed with what you had to delete. I don't, I don't think you should have had to delete it in fairness. It's quite sad that you had to because I've actually introduced lanyards in a number of schools that I've worked in purely from a safeguarding perspective because being in charge of whole school medical, overseeing SEN, overseeing safeguarding, they are absolutely invaluable to have as part of school uniform. And I personally don't think they're dehumanising at all because devil's advocate, a new ECT starts, little Jenny collapses, Within five seconds, she'll know who little Jenny is. And because she's had some medical CPD, she'll know little Jenny's actually quite a high priority medical case. She can actually deal with it swiftly. Similarly, if we're marking children in registers, for example, and it's not a photo register, the lanyards help us make sure that a girl, because it does sometimes happen, let's be honest, sometimes kids can be a bit naughty. Someone answers for somebody else's name just to be cheeky as a prank, which can obviously well, cause safety issues in itself. Well, let me say, this whole thing is, is, is a bit more complicated than... than oh, no, no, I'm talking about the simple side of it, of course. Than I, I, than I, than I D. And so, I mean, this is, the reason I deleted it is because I'd made a joke that people weren't getting, and I was getting ridiculous... I got it, in fairness, I did get it. <laughs> responses. Yeah, but so I, I deleted it because I can't be bothered explaining my terrible joke to people. And you think, if, mm. if a joke's not funny if you have to explain it. So basically, mm. there's this... I'm not, to be honest, I'm not going to get into, into the whole issue of no, this. No, no, no. I'll just be like... I, but basically... When, when when it's reported that a school is a really terrible place because some parents were unhappy that their child who was, uh, you know, has got behavior, had behaviour issues, had had their behaviour stuff recorded on a behaviour card, and the behaviour card is kept in their lanyard as a school practice, they are talking about this as shaming because the children are sort of walking around with with their behaviour record around their necks. And I was thinking, it took me a while to sort of, when I was reading I was thinking, Oh, forgot that they mean in the lanyard. That's what it was really what it was. So if you say to somebody, these children are forced to walk around the school with their behaviour points around their necks, it's, it makes it sound like like a dunce's cap, doesn't it? Like they're wearing a sort of card, you know, a big card like on a wire around their neck, sort of which says, "This child is a bad person," shaming them up like like they're in some kind of, you know. <laughs> sort of medieval talk. It's, it's absolute farce. It, what was happening in those schools is behaviour cards are quite useful. I know lots of schools will have them. Sometimes they keep them in their blazer. So you say, can I have a look at your And it's things for low-level things like pens, being late, top button not done up. Mm. And you just you mark the card and they have to show their card. I know a school where they do this. It's amazing. Every Friday they check it and the students who have an immaculate card have... A, a, a sort of a bonus sort of time thing that they get, whereas the other students have to stay behind and finish some work. And it's just a minor incentive to get an immaculate card. And it, it's a, it works. The truth is the behaviour in that school is impeccable and yeah. the students are very happy. So behaviour cards can work. And what's a, what's a good place to keep them? So you imagine in discussing that thinking, well, blazers, but all about washing them. What's the thing the students have to have on them all the time anyway? Lanyards. Well, why don't we just put them in there? It's just a sensible, pragmatic thing. Now, if you turn that into, it's a disgrace. These children are wearing a badge of shame with their behaviour points on their around their necks. I just think it's an absolute farce. So my joke was that I had to go to a college today and wear my wear my ID and my safeguarding statement around my neck. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And I was getting people sort of replying, going, "Well, you know." Like ID badges matter. I, you know, it's like, of course they matter. Of course they matter. Like, there's a no-brainer. We're not shaming children by making them wear a lanyard with stuff in it. You know, it's just, 
it's just ridiculous. And, Sensationalist and, headline, isn't it? As you rightly said, it's the around the neck. People just vision have visions of just this horrific, big, massive like yeah. placard around your neck saying, "I was naughty today," and that's it. Twitter police have gone crazy. And here's here's the thing that really makes my blood boil. And having been you know burnt by this myself, I would say mm. me neither me nor any of these people criticizing this could run those schools better than the people there, like in a, in a million years. And there they are, doing a hard job, succeeding, making schools successful. Let them do it, you know? Yes, absolutely. Clap, give them a big round of applause. <laughs> and if they found a system which motivates children to behave well to create a safe learning environment, great. <laughs> <laughs> if a few parents, if a few parents are going, yeah, 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 it's not fair. Well, you know what? That might be just what you have to deal with in that school, which is pretty tough. And if you're going to side with that child who thinks, I've been shamed up by having my behaviour points in my lanyard, I'm just thinking, do me a favour. I mean, whose side are you on? The children in that school are getting a much better education because the behaviour standards have risen. Mm. And you're not the champion of the kids because you think it's a bit kind of, of a shame-up. I just think, you know, just if you don't think you go and run that school better than those people, just keep your mouth shut. That's what I think. And on that note, I think it's just the perfect time for us to go into another break. <laughs> Not about you, Tom, but I ended a quick tea myself. Right, people, you know the drill. Have a wee, have a tea, and bring back a bourbon biscuit. I will see you on the other side of this break. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cats. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondlelettersandsounds.org.uk. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, 
You'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In England, the government has announced that in order to keep a track of homeschooled children, a register of children not in school will be created. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused an explosion in the number of homeschooled children, but it is impossible to be certain of the true number because there is no statutory register. The Education Secretary, Nadim Sahawi, said, while the majority of children already learn in a calm, well-maintained classroom, and some learn at home with dedicated parents, there are areas across the country where high standards are not being met. Legislation to create the first local authority register for children not in school would make sure every child gets the start in life they deserve. The International Day of Education was celebrated on the 24th of January, with Nigeria joining the international community. Education in Nigeria has been reported as being in a dire state, with UNICEF reporting that even though primary education is officially free and compulsory, about 10.5 million of the country's children aged 5 to 14 years are not in school. Peter Hawkins, the UNICEF representative in Nigeria, said, Millions of Nigerian children have never set foot in a classroom, and this is a travesty. Perhaps equally tragic is the high number of children who make it into a classroom but never make the transition from primary school to secondary school, thereby cutting off their chances of a secure future. It is reported that one in five out-of-school children in the world is Nigerian. In 2021, there were 25 attacks on schools, 1,440 children were abducted and 16 children were killed. Even more vulnerable children remain in captivity of bandits and kidnappers. The health and safety of students and improved working conditions for teachers need to be enhanced. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, as we approach Safe Internet Day next week, it's the 8th of February, if you didn't know, I'm going to take a look at keeping yourself safe as a teacher. 
I'm not going to go into your digital footprint or how you use social media. That's been covered in your safeguarding training, no doubt, and should be common sense. There is, however, a real grey area when it comes to teachers and using their phones in school. Before I start, all schools should have a policy on mobile phones, and you should have read it. I suggest, if you're not sure what it is, then you find out. There is DFE guidance for searching, screening and confiscating for pupils for staff, Policies in schools range from SLT having different rules to other staff so they can be contacted to phones must be switched off or on silence when pupils are present. Some are even introducing a smartwatch policy as they become increasingly more popular. The first step to keeping yourself safe is to make sure you know what is expected in your school as it's the individual schools that decide and there is no official guidance. The next step is a choice. Images, still or moving, are a great way to evidence work and to feedback to pupils. If your policy allows it, using your phone is the simplest way as it's always with you. To give a real example, a PE teacher at a match doesn't need to remember to take the school camera and probably has a better camera on their phone anyway. But here's the dilemma. Should teachers have pictures of children on their personal phones? Again, school policy will dictate this and parents will have signed a form saying they give permission or not, so you're covered to take the picture. But the question still stands, should it be done on a personal device? This is where I feel the need to keep ourselves safe lies. How long do you keep the images on your phone? Are they automatically backed up into your personal cloud? How do you transfer from your device to the school storage? What if your phone's lost or stolen? I'm not here to provide an answer. I just want you to think about keeping yourself safe. If you take images on a school device, you avoid all of these issues. It may be a little more effort, but in the rare event of an allegation, it's a lot simpler to investigate. Please think about your use of personal devices in school. And if your policy isn't keeping up with what you're doing, consider raising it. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Right, and we are back after the second and last news tech and ad break, and we are here still with Mr. Tom Sherrington discussing, I think we've kind of sort of gone beyond the topic we agreed tom if i think it's fair to say you've kind of covered everything else in between as well which is great and i actually feel this is less an interview and more a cpd session which is absolutely fabulous so thank you thus far for the tips you've given now i've got a few questions that i wanted to ask you but sadly because of time i've got to pick uh, a couple of them out and i'm gonna i think after such intense conversation i think i'll give us a light-hearted question if i may squire um, I didn't know until I followed you on Twitter that you're actually a pianist. You you you're quite you're very proficient on the keys, aren't you? And you was it get up if I remember correctly? <laughs> you actually I won't lie. I, this is a sad confession yet again for me now. I actually started to teach myself how to play the keyboard in the first lockdown. So I can't read by I can't play by sight, but I can like play by ear. Obviously not at your level. But jokes aside, would you ever release music like on the side from your man cave? <laughs> Well, I have. I'm so on. on I, I, I've done it. Oh, sorry, you did when you were younger. My apologies. Of course, you're sort also, of. Even as a teacher, so um, there's a, there's a, a, a friend and I. Um, it's actually the same friend I mentioned earlier, who is a great great English teacher. He he is a, also a singer, and he, the two of us make music. So, for, it's, it's, we have we have a band called St Jude, which there is another band called St Jude, an American band. Ours is called St Jude. And we started that in about 2003. And on Spotify, we have some songs. Oh, there you go now. Recommendation, people. And it's really just a hobby. So obviously, obviously, it's just a hobby. I mean, I get this, I get this absolutely hilarious monthly email from Spotify, and it says, um, <laughs> here's your monthly update uh, from Spotify. You have had, th- this month it said, you have had um, 
nine listeners, um, an increase of, of you know, 12.5%. Eight <laughs> last year, last eight year I had, last month I had eight listeners. <laughs> So it's, it's not small like steps, um, don't under, don't you know don't downplay not small in the charts here but yeah so music is you know they have, everyone has their hobbies don't they I and mean, some people it's sport and, and stuff and for me it's like i've got my little place upstairs with a some amps and a keyboard and a computer so i do do it i had to listen to music all the time <laughs> you play how many instruments is it now i'm sure you're a guitarist and a keyboard player right well i learned all the instruments when i was a student when i was a kid you know we had stuff around the house piano mm-hmm. guitar drums so yeah so i can't sing i can't sing to save my life but oh i was gonna say you could sing us out tonight and last last year i bought myself a new bass guitar i hadn't had one of those for ages so i've got a nice bass guitar which is fun to do so i have piano <laughs> lessons i had proper piano lessons when i was a kid and i did i think i got up to a grade Five or six, and then maybe just oh, wow. yeah. So not not like super stellar, but it's it's a, it's nice to uh, to do, and it's like because I I play the piano and the guitar every single day. Mm-hmm. So it's something you you keep your fingers working, and it's fun. So we can't expect like a walkthroughs original soundtrack anytime. <laughs> Could you could you imagine <laughs> though? Seriously, you could like have an audio book, and then you could play like the background. It's an idea, isn't it? Well. <laughs> It, 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 really, it really makes you laugh. It's, it's one of the things I think is hilarious about Twitter. Is it, it, it makes you laugh in a funny way, which is that literally, like almost nobody gives a damn about your music. So, so you know, I, I have a, a, a following, but when I, if I tweet music, it, 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 like, it makes this like total comedy. I, I didn't want to say this. Tom, no, I did. I did observe. Nobody cares. <laughs> I know nobody cares. <laughs> I care. Jokes aside, I'm, I'm, I swear, I'm not just saying this to be nice to you. Honest to God, I actually really liked it. I listened to it more than once, or maybe I'm one of the eight times. <laughs> but I did notice this myself, that when you like post a blog, and obviously I've never said anything on your Twitter or tweeted about it, but you get tons of likes and hundreds of this. And when you posted your music, it actually made me sad. That get up literally had, I think, about two replies, and one of those was mine. <laughs> It, it, it doesn't surprise me at all. I, I sort of, it, it, I always like, I post it knowing no one will listen. To it. So it's like, it's sort of, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not even disappointed. I tell you what, next time you post something, I want to find out some producer. I'll start tagging them for you. <laughs> you never know, Tom. There are, never... there are some other people. So there's, a, there's a little posse of people I know on Twitter who are similar musicians, and um, it's always more impressive when people can sing, to be honest. So when, when people can really sing, and there's a few people who are really good singers, and mm. like, that's that's great. So my friend Tom, he he he's the singer, and um, so we I, I I sort of make stuff up and send it to him, and he he adds the singing, and so that's how we make our songs. But without the singing, they're just sort of this slightly sad instrumental things. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing, then, Tom. You've got to start releasing things with vocals over the top now. So yeah. maybe you might get more than two replies and, you know, a 12.5% rise might become like a 50% rise. You never know. Heard it here, heard it here first, folks. The beginning of Mr. Sherrington's, sorry, the re, relaunching of Mr. Tom Sherrington's musical career now. Well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the only one. Like, say, Duncan, Duncan Spaulding, he's, he's a, another, he's, he's in the music club. He, he, has oh, a, wow. he, he has friends. So during lockdowns, we were both sort of like, we both developed separately the sort of thing of um, making music and then 
using technology to share the tracks and stuff. And he he has a colleague, a friend who who sings, and he so Duncan also makes music and has a friend who sings. So we were sharing each other's songs, and there's a little mutual support of the slightly you know, slightly too old people <laughs> making music that's slightly slightly well not going to sell any records, but it's it doesn't have to does it? It's fun. It's just fun to do. Or as Tom Bennett famously labelled it, you two looking a bit dodgy. Well, I thought okay. it was a cracking photo in, in your defence. I thought it was a lovely photograph. Now, unfortunately, Mr Sherrington, our time is coming to a close, unfortunately, unfortunately. Can I just sincerely thank you for your time tonight? I, I am beyond grateful that you've blessed us with your dulcet tones on Teacher Talk Radio and enlightened me and many others like myself, I'm sure, who are listening live and even more who I'm sure will listen back once I publish this show online. So thank you so, so much, Tom, for your time. Um, Thank you very much for inviting me. I I feel pleased to be asked. And all the very best with your latest book, Walkthroughs 3, which I am particularly keen, as my followers will know, and they'll know why I'm particularly keen to get my pre-ordered copy of this one in my hands. What funny story, though. I told my sister that, oh, I'm going to be in the back of Walkthroughs 3, and she was like, wow, that's so amazing. And I told my mum, and do you know what she said? Who? who? Of course she did. Why would she know? (laughs) No, it's um, you know we 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 wanted all all our all our comments on our books to be from from people who 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 read and use the the stuff. Not not... honestly, you literally. I don't do bucket lists. If I did, me getting to speak to you tonight and being on the back of walkthroughs would really be up there. So honestly, thank you so so much, Tom, for the opportunity, and thank you once again for your time, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us this evening and listening to us and staying with us for the whole of the show. Just so you know, tomorrow's going to look a little bit different because obviously I presented tonight, so I'm not going to be having my usual late show tomorrow. But please do tune in because we've got the wonderful Zoe Enser doing a breakfast show from 9 to 10.30. We've got Emma Williams with a brunch show from 11 to 12.30. And then we've got Joseph Hammond with his lunch show from 1 to 2.30. But please, you've still got all that time afterwards. Listen back to tonight's show and any of the show that takes your fancy. Thank you so, so much. Have a lovely evening. Stay safe. And until next Saturday, take care. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.